Mark chapter 12, verse 28, and we'll read down through verse number 34. We'll begin together in verse 28 and then read every other verse um, uh, in, um, uh, together. So I'll do 29 alone, we'll do 28 together and continue on that way. Ready? Verse 28. Here we go. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked them, What is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that durst ask him any questions. This lawyer was seeking and searching for the truth. Uh, he was uh, um, rather one of these scribes. The scribe was. And he was pressured to not believe Jesus, but knew that he probably should believe Jesus. And he came to Jesus, and what did Jesus tell him was the greatest commandment? To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. Boy, that first commandment in Scripture, to love the Lord thy God. It's such an important command. In fact, it is the key to the Christian life. It is the key uh, to pleasing God, to love the Lord our God. We're in our fourth and final series of our theme, Love Works, in 2020. And uh, the title of the series is this, The Pattern of Love. Who is the pattern of how we are to love? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. And who is it that we're to love? Well, the very first person we're commanded to love is the Father. Today's title of the sermon is this, Christ Loved His Heavenly Father. Let's pray together. Lord, help us today to... Take a good, long, and healthy evaluation of our relationship with you. Lord, help us to see where we fall short, where there are impurities in our love. And Lord, may we all leave here today determined to intensify the love that we have. Lord, for some here today, their love for you is a raging fire. They're passionately in love with you. Others here remember a day where it was a raging fire and is just smoldering under the ashes, and that love needs to be intensified yet again. Wherever we are today, help us all to make a commitment to love you a little bit more. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, our series this year, the, uh, the, uh, this, this month, this season, the pattern of love, we've looked at how Christ loved his fellow man. We looked at three different groups of people that Christ loved when it came to loving 
His peers. We saw out of Matthew 9 how that Christ loved His neighbor. And remember, He went around town there in Capernaum and healed person after person after person. And we said that it wasn't just the miraculous God ability of, of Jesus that drew people to Him. It was that Jesus had a heart of compassion for his neighbor. And then uh, two weeks ago, we looked at the truth that Christ loved the broken. We saw out of 1 Thessalonians 5 that we're to warn the unruly. And Jesus did that when he loved the woman who was caught in adultery. And then we saw how we're to support the weak, or rather comfort the feeble-minded. And we saw how Jesus comfort the, comforted the discouraged in Mary and Martha there in John chapter 11. And then uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us that we're to support the weak and how Jesus supported the delicate, the weak faith, Thomas, and helped him through. Jesus loved the broken. And then we saw uh, last week how that Christ loved the brethren. And we saw how important it is that we get involved in church and we love each other at church. And uh, First John throws down the gauntlet and says that if you can't love your brother, then uh, you don't walk in the light. That you walk in death. You walk in darkness. Loving the brethren, loving those that are saved is of the utmost importance. Oh, we're to love the ones that are easy to love, but we're to love the ones that aren't so easy to love. And uh, we're to uh, go out of our way to love the brethren. And we saw how Jesus did that with Peter last week. Peter stabbed Jesus in the back, but Jesus never gave up on Peter. Christ loved his fellow man. Today we turn our attention to the next sermon in our series, The Pattern of Love, How Christ Loved the Heavenly Father. Next week we'll look at how Christ loved His earthly family, and then the last week we'll look at how Christ loved His enemies or His foe. Uh, let's turn our attention this week to how Christ loved His Heavenly Father. Uh, have you ever watched a TV show uh, that depicted life back in the 1800s? My family and I enjoy watching Little House on the Prairie. How many of you here have ever watched Little House on the Prairie? It's a good, uh, for the most part, good, clean, wholesome uh, TV for the family to watch. I think we're in the second to last season, and uh, we're really enjoying that. Life in the 1800s was quite a bit different than life today, and folks were uh, uh, folks were more localized, and they knew their neighbors better, and uh, communication worked a lot slower. A man named Ben lived in the year 19, or rather 1898. And after uh, many years of, of adult life, he decided that he was going to pursue uh, uh, wealth out west. And so he moved to Missouri, and uh, he began working hard to make himself wealthy. Well, while he didn't quite become rich, he did, uh, he did manage to get 300 acres of property, and he would develop that into wheat fields and corn fields and all sorts of vegetables. And he would build himself a nice, comfortable farmhouse to live in, and after he got settled in all that, he decided that he wanted to share his life with someone, and so he sent a telegraph, he wired a message to a New York newspaper, and in the newspaper he put in a wanted ad that read this, it said, wanted, a good woman looking to be a pen pal, marriage is a possibility for the right woman. Before long, he began receiving letters from a girl named Molly. And their correspondence soon turned into love for each other. And after many, many months and close to a year of writing letters back and forth, uh, uh, they um, decided it was time to meet. So Molly got on a train and she traveled 
to Kansas City where she would meet Ben. And uh, the train arrived in the station and there Ben stood watching as people poured off the train and, and he was looking at all of the folks coming off, lots of women getting off the train. And all of a sudden he said, Molly! And he pointed at Molly. He said, Molly, I'm right here. And Molly got a big smile on her, on her face and came over and put her hand out. He took her hand and, and kissed her hand. And she looked at him and said, how did you know it was me? She said, I've never sent you a picture. And he reached in his back pocket and he took out all the letters that she had written him. And he looked down at the letters and he bowed his head. And he said, oh, yes, you have. He said, you see... I have studied and studied and studied these letters. And I knew exactly what you would look like based on what these letters had said. Now, my friend, you and I have never seen God. But we are called the Bride of Christ. And this book is His love letter to us. The more we read this book, the more we study this book, the better we understand who God is. Amen? And it ought to be that we are so intimately familiar with who God is that we'd be able to pick Him out of a crowd. Uh, uh, at least that idea there. God's precious Word paints a vivid picture of who He is. We, as His bride, should fall in love with His Word so that we can then fall in love with the author. Now, for me to tell you that you should love God from an intellectual standpoint, uh, it is clear and obvious as to why we should love God. Let me, if I could, list for you several reasons or uh, several uh, evidences of why we should love God. The first one I would say to you this morning is we should love God because He is our Creator. He is our Creator. The Bible tells us that He formed us in our mother's womb. And uh, for that very reason, we should love God because He is our Creator. Not only because He is our Creator, but because He is a God of order. He provides order. And He is in control of the universe. Uh, great comfort and rest comes when we live inside an orderly system. This morning I walked into my kitchen and I looked out my back window across the porch into my backyard and boy I have a great view from my back, uh, from my back window there, the kitchen window of uh, uh, mountains and uh, the, 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 there was a fog or a haze that sat on top of those mountains and the sun was just coming up over the top of that mountain and the, the, the fog was just glowing orange and uh, the barren trees and uh, just took my breath away uh, to look at that. You know, you know something, when I went to bed last night, I didn't lay there and think, oh, boy, I wonder if the sun's going to come up in the morning. I didn't have to wonder that. You know, um, I didn't, uh, in the middle of the summer, I didn't think to myself, boy, I wonder if um, fall is going to happen to come around this year. You know how I know that the sun's going to come up every morning? You know how that I know there's going to be a fall in 2020 and 2021 and 2022 and 20... You know how I know that uh, there's going to be the four seasons and uh, the, the, the leaves are going to come on the tree in the summer or rather spring and it's going to be hot in the summer and cold in the winter and the leaves are going to change in the fall? Uh, I know that because I serve a God of great order and in that order I find great rest. From that order, I find it easy to love my God. 
Not only should we love God because He is our Creator and He provides order, this one might be the most important one on the list. We should love God because He is our Redeemer. If you are saved this morning, then you know what it is to have your sins forgiven. Do you remember where you were, Christian? Do you remember what it was like when you were cumbered, burdened with a load of sin? And you felt that that burden that was heavy on you? And you put your faith and trust in Christ? And the burden rolled away? It was as though you laid down a heavy backpack and a, a smile maybe came on your face, maybe tears ran down your cheek, uh, maybe not, but uh, uh, you felt like a brand new person. You knew that your sins had been forgiven, your moral crimes had been expunged in heaven, your name had been written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you had been given the gift of everlasting life, you knew that there was a mansion that was going to be prepared for you in heaven, you could look up to the cross uh, and you could see that your Savior had hung and blessed and died in your place and you knew that you were going to heaven because the God of all of eternity looked down at you and said, I love you and I want to save you. Boy, that by itself is enough to passionately love God for all of eternity. Oh, how hard it must have been for God to agree to the terms of sending His only begotten Son down to the womb of Virgin Mary so that He could be born and live amongst us and then be brutally beaten and murdered and slaughtered on that cross. How hard it must have been for God the Father to agree to do that. But He did it because He loves us. Boy, the case for why we should love God is so clear and evident and obvious. He is our Creator. He is the God of great order. He is our Redeemer. Another reason why we should love God is because He is our Comforter. The saved in the church age get to enjoy. It is a privilege. We get to enjoy the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God. He lives within us. You know, before the church age, they didn't get to experience this. Only a select few in the Old Testament knew what it was to have the Spirit of God indwell them. Uh, To be saved, you didn't have the Spirit of God indwell you in the Old Testament. You have the Spirit of God living in you if you're saved. And you know what Jesus' choice word was when He described the Holy Spirit in John 14 and 15? It was comforter. Comforter. There have been plenty of times in my life where I have been discouraged and down. There have been plenty of times in my life where I've been disappointed. There have been plenty of times in my life where I've just been in a bad mood. Maybe I've sat at a funeral and wept and cried. Maybe I've felt the hurt of betrayal of a friend. Maybe I've uh, been disappointed by life. Life has let me down or circumstances didn't go my way. And boy, I was having a bad day or a bad week or a bad month or a bad year, a bad season of my life. And you know what? As a Christian, in those times, I've been able to turn to the Holy Spirit of God and feel His hand of comfort, His hand of peace, His hand of joy, His hand of everything is going to be okay because God is still on the throne. And today, I look at the fact that the Holy Spirit of God, the Comforter lives within me, and it drives me to want to love God even more. We should love God because He's our Creator. He's a God of order. He is our Redeemer. He is our Comforter. How about this one? He is our Provider. Everything we have is a gift from God. Even the problems in our life we don't like. 
Those are gifts from God too. God is working righteousness within us through those hardships. You have a relationship struggle. You have a financial struggle. You have a medical struggle. You say, I don't like this. I don't like uh, being on the brink of bankruptcy. Or I don't like stress or strife in uh, uh, my home. I don't enjoy uh, uh, knowing that uh, my medical problems are so intense and real and in my face all the time. God is trying to use those things to refine you. You know, um, all of us here uh, had, had a ride to a church, did, did we not? Some of you may have walked to church this morning. We thank God for giving you feet to be able to do that. Right? Some of you here uh, drove, your, uh, drove yourself or maybe took a taxi or, you, uh, or an Uber, whatever it is that people take these days. Maybe you hitched a ride with a stranger. Maybe you live life on the adventurous side. But you got here, didn't you? You got here, didn't you? Some of you say, yeah, I rode the church bus. That was, that was adventurous. Amen? Um, when I was a boy, we would sing the song about there being... Uh, shoes, or let's see, uh, food on our table. We're, we're thanking God that there's food on our table and shoes on our feet. And I would always get those words mixed up. There's shoes on my table and food on my feet. And my mom would say, you better not put your shoes on the table. You get in trouble that way, right? Uh, but thank God for the many things he provides for us. Let's not be, you know, I see a lot of, um, of middle class Christians. And you know what they do? They complain about people who take a welfare check. And you know the big gripe is? Ah, oh, they just take it for granted. Ah, oh, they're entitled. I know a whole lot of Christians who take blessings from God every day. They take a welfare check from God every day. And they're entitled. And they gripe. And they complain. Well, if I only had a nicer car, what about the car you have? Well, if I could just live in a nicer home, what about the abode that God has given you? God is good all the time. And you know what? We should love Him because He's our provider. One more reason by way of introduction. We should love Him because He never changes. He never changes. This goes back to the God of order, but yet a, another layer dimension of it. You know, my love at some extreme is conditional to everyone. You say, could there be a situation where you would quit loving your wife? As a flawed human being, I'm sure there are some radical, extreme conditions that would cause me to quit loving my wife. Could you ever stop loving your children? I'm sure that you could draw up a set of really rare and odd conditions that would push me to a place where my love for my children would be challenged and maybe I would even be pushed past that. But can I tell you today that God's love for us never changes. God's love for us is unconditional. Watch this now. God does not say, be good and I'll love you. God says, because I love you, be good. God loves us not because of who we are. That's a good thing. God loves us because of who He is. Any one of these reasons on their own merit should be enough for us to have a passionate loyalty to God. A fervent love for our Maker. Can I ask you a question? Why then does God have to command us to love Him? If it should be natural, if it should flow out from us, if all of these, uh, uh, this, this large mountain of reasons for us to love God exists, then why does God have to command us 
to love Him. You know why? Because His love for us is the catalyst, but our flesh is the competition. You see, I want to love God, but I'm not very good at loving God always. Because my sinful flesh gets in the way. You know what I'm good at? The same thing you are. I'm really good at loving myself instead of loving God. My son Matthew came to me uh, uh, several months ago and he said, Dad, I'm having a hard time uh, being consistent in my Bible reading. How many of you can relate with my son and say you've had that struggle at some point in your life? All right, my hand's up. Um, He said, Dad, what can I do to solve it? You know what I told him? I said, make a decision, a commitment right now that you're not going to put any food in your mouth until you've read your Bible and prayed. How many of you think that you would read your Bible and pray every day if you had that rule for yourself? It's a pretty good rule, isn't it? Either that or we'd all get really skinny. I could use some skinniness, amen? I'm a well-fed pastor. Um, what's the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning? Can I tell you what for a lot of you it is? Coffee. You roll out of bed and you think, ah, oh, I need some coffee. Have you seen these cups that say, don't talk to me till I've had my morning coffee? Right? Uh, my, my day doesn't officially begin until below this line. There's a line on the cup the coffee's got to get below. Um, what if the first thing we thought about when we wake up, woke up in the morning wasn't coffee but the Creator? Amen? Stepping on some toes, aren't I? We wake up in the morning and, boy, we go, go, go. What about the Creator? You know why the first thing we think about isn't our Creator? Because of our flesh. Our flesh. There's nothing wrong with getting a cup of coffee first thing in the morning as long as the Word of God is in the other hand. Amen? Coffee in one hand, Word of God in the other. Enjoy them both together. But put the Lord first. Put the Lord first. We struggle because our flesh gets in the way. Now, when I was a boy, I would watch my mother sew clothing for my sisters. She would buy a pattern from a fabric store, and then I would watch her make a blouse or a skirt based on the pattern in the package. And I never enjoyed going with her to a store like Joanne Fabrics. Nothing worse than a nine-year-old boy having to walk around Joanne Fabrics, right? Joanne. I hated the name Joanne uh, just because of the store, Joanne Fabrics, right? Oh, I got the Joanne Fabrics. Uh, but my mom would tell if your name's Joanne, I don't hate you. Amen. I just didn't like the name back then. Um, but uh, I can remember walking around the store and, and, you know, my mom would just love looking at these various patterns and I was bored to tears. But she'd get them home and, um, you know, I'd be playing around the house and I'd walk into the, the um, uh, dining room there and she would have fabric like this lady laid out on a table and she would have uh, paper very similar to the pages of a Bible as far as material goes, uh, paper that would, had been laser cut by a machine And my mom would lay that down and use pins and pin it down in the fabric. And then she would cut the fabric exactly to the shape of that pattern. And then she would sew together a blouse or a skirt or some piece of clothing for my sisters. And you know, that pattern was perfect. 
that pattern was perfect. And as long as my mom followed the pattern and didn't freehand it, she would get a perfect clothing item every time. Now watch this. If I am going to love the Father the way I ought to, then I need to find a perfect pattern of how to love Him. Now, in order for someone to love the Father perfect, they would need to be someone that was not plagued by their sinful flesh. Can anybody think of a pattern in Scripture of someone who was not plagued with sin that loved the Father? Yeah, he's our pattern, isn't he? You know what's great about the life of Jesus is he didn't just give us a bunch of commands. He demonstrated for us how to do it. And in Scripture today, we see three ways that Jesus intimately and deeply loved the Father. And I know this, if we can study the pattern of how Jesus did it, we'll have a better idea of how to do it ourselves. So I want to give you this morning three words. I don't have subpoints this morning. I have three words that describe how Jesus loved his Father. And I want to encourage you to write these three words down on the back of your bulletin. And after the service this morning, I want you to ask yourself this question. How well am I doing with these three areas when it comes to loving the Father? All right? Three words. Word number one. Observation number one of Jesus' relationship with the Father is the word closeness. Closeness. Jesus was very close with the Father. There's no way you can deny that. Hold your place in Mark. We're going to come back to Mark in just a moment. Turn to John chapter 1. Now, we love to look at John chapter 1 for theological reasons to show that Jesus was deity. But I want to uh, take this, maybe uh, uh, show, uh, look at this uh, passage in a little bit different light. Different light, okay? John chapter 1, look at verse number 1 and notice the closeness, the intimacy between the Father and the Son. I believe everyone here is familiar enough with this passage to know this, but anytime you see Word, capital W, Word in Scripture, that is a title of Jesus. So this is talking about Jesus, alright? Look at verse number 1 of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Notice the closeness. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Was with God, was God, was the same was in the beginning with God. You see the closeness here? You see how tight they were? Jesus was with God, uh, uh, Jesus was God, and Jesus was, uh, the same was in the beginning, with God. Watch this now. We believe that the Trinity is three distinct beings that make up one being. Three in one. Three in one. You see that? Three in one. Now, uh, uh, there are people who, who, who have all of these you know, descriptive ways of, of trying to explain the Trinity in a way that makes sense and, 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 and do all these mental gymnastics. Uh, can I just cut past all that for a minute here and, and not worry about being theological, but maybe a little more practical? Jesus had gotten so close to the Father that you couldn't even tell the distinction between the two of them. Jesus was so close, so intimate, so tight with the Father that when you looked at the two, they appeared to be one. They were one. That's how close he came uh, to the other. I hear about folks who are identical twins. 
right? And you put them together and you can't tell. I know um, John Segru has an identical twin brother. This is a really funny story, but uh, one of the first years I was the pastor here, for Christmas time we had a big drama, and we, um, we had the choir singing, and John was one of the lead singers in the, in the uh, choir that year, and, and uh, John was running late that morning and had not yet made it in. And They, they were given a, a certain dress code to wear, right? A dark suit and a red tie, and um, all of a sudden, and I did not know John had a twin brother. No one had ever told me this. All of a sudden, John's brother shows up, and he's wearing very casual clothes. And he walks in, and I look at him, and I'm like, What are you doing, John? I didn't say that, but I was thinking, I said, Well, John, you're, you're a little underdressed. And he looked at me, and he got the same smile, same mannerism as his twin brother. And he said, Well, I guess I am. And he slipped in the auditorium and sat down. I thought, what is going on? And about five minutes later, John walked in, and I, and I was doing a double take. I said, what's going on here? And, uh, and I said, do you have a twin brother? And he said, I do. I said, oh, thank God. Okay, I'm not losing my mind here. You know, John has told me that twin brothers, they know when each other's not feeling well. They can almost read each other's mind and thoughts. Jesus and God were so close. They were not only with each other, they were one and the same. Turn over to John uh, chapter uh, number 10 there. John chapter 10. And we'll see here the closeness between God the Father and God the Son. They were intimate. They were tight. They were close. I'll begin reading in verse 27. You can catch up with me. The Bible says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them. Jesus is speaking here. And they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Look at verse 30. Jesus says this. He says, I and my Father are one. How close was Jesus with the Father? I and my Father are one. Notice here the intimacy between the two. Um, uh, if I am close to a family member, maybe I will hold their hand. I sit in church with my wife when I'm not preaching and I might hold her hand. I sit next to my son or my daughter, I might hold their hand. Why? Not, not in a romantic sense per se, more in an intimate bond, a closeness sense. There's that intimacy. And the Bible says that you are in the hand of Jesus, and Jesus' hand is in the hand of the Father. There's an intimacy between the Father and the Son. And then He looks at the Pharisees and He says, I and my Father are one. We're so close that we're one. Turn over to John chapter number 16 and look at verse number 27. The Bible says, For the Father Himself loveth you, because ye have loved Me, and, and have believed that I, am, I came out from God. Notice the oneness there. I came forth from the Father and am come into the world again. I leave the world and go to the Father. It's very clear as you read through the Gospels that Jesus was yearning for, desiring, wanting to get back to heaven and be back in the presence, the physical presence of the Father. Why? Because He was close with the Father. He was close with the Father. Uh, I had you hold your place in Mark. Turn to Mark chapter 15 in verse number 33. Mark 15. Here we find Jesus on the cross. You know, um, what Jesus went through on the cross was brutal. And I've given in great detail many times before what they did to Jesus that day. They nailed Him to that cross. 
But I believe wholeheartedly that the most painful thing Jesus endured that day was not physical. It was not the whip on the back. It was not the nails in His hands or His feet. It was not the crown of thorns mashed down, the river of blood, the crimson river that flowed down His face and ran from His back. It was not the spear that pierced His side. Uh, it, it wasn't even the hostile words. It wasn't the disciples that ran and, 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 and uh, abandoned Him. It wasn't the people that He had healed and helped and loved on that threw stones on Him that day as He walked down the streets. Uh, it, it wasn't any of that. The most painful thing that Jesus experienced that day, He cries out in Mark 15.33 and tells us what it was. Look at verse 33. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? I can't wrap my mind around this, but from eternity past, God the Father and God the Son had never broken fellowship. And for the first time in all of eternity, God the Father turned His back on God the Son. Wouldn't look at Him. That closeness, even if it was just for a brief moment, had been interrupted. Had been interrupted. Not to make it about me or make it overly personal, but can I tell you that when there is strife, occasional strife in my marriage, can I tell you what it does to me? It messes me up bad. Because I'm very close with Angela. When something comes between us, I'm just not the same. And we've only had 13 years to weave our hearts together. Boy, Jesus had all of eternity past to weave His heart together with the Father. And to have that ripped apart even for just a three-hour time span, oh, how it hurt the Savior. Oh, how it hurt the Savior. Let me ask you a question this morning. How close would you say that you are to God? Enoch got so close to God that God took him on home to heaven. The Bible says that Enoch was translated. It says that he walked with God and he was no more. It says that Enoch did not taste death. Moses got so close to God that his face became so bright that it hurt for people to even look at him. He had to wear a veil over his face. It was like people were staring into the sun when they looked at the countenance of Moses. Elijah got so close to God that a chariot of fire was sent down from heaven to transport him directly into the presence of God Almighty. You say, well, Pastor, those are Old Testament examples and those are Old Testament experiences and there are deeper theological implications with those, and I understand that, and I would even agree with that, but how about Stephen? You see, Stephen in the New Testament was not some great prophet. Stephen in the New Testament was not some trained preacher. Stephen in the New Testament was a regular church member who attended the church at Jerusalem, who grew so close to God that when the council, the scribes, looked upon him, they said, boy, something's different about him. Something's different about his face. Acts chapter 6, verse 15. The Bible says, And all that sat in the council looking steadfastly on him saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Why? Because Stephen loved God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind and all his strength. Do you love God this morning? 
Are you close to Him? How did Jesus demonstrate His love for the Father? Closeness. Closeness. Notice number two. Compliance. Compliance. If you would, take your Bible over to John chapter number 5. John chapter number 5. And while you do that, let me ask you a difficult question. Alright? I think the crowd might even be split on this one. Alright? Here's the question. Can a person, please listen, can a person be subservient to another person, but yet still be their equal? Can a person be subservient to another person, but yet still be their equal? How many say no? No one's brave enough to raise their hand. Amen. The answer is yes. Alright? John chapter 1 we just read a few minutes ago. Please listen. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Was Jesus, is God the Son equal to God the Father? Yeah. Philippians chapter 2 verse 6, the Bible tells us that Jesus thought it not robbery to be made, to, to be equal with God. Thought it not robbery. He, he didn't think he was stealing anything from anyone to be equal with God. Jesus is equal with God. But notice that Jesus is subservient to God the Father. Now, uh, the feminist movement does not like this teaching. They want to tell the woman that she's to come along and be the competitor, not the completer. That she's to compete with the man, not complete the man. Um, You know, I've said this before, but anything with two heads is a monster. You were to go down the road and see a dog with two heads, you'd say, that's a monster. Now, watch this, though. Anything without a head is dead. And um, there, are, there are homes where no one's in charge. And there are homes where you have two people competing to be in charge. And God has called the husband to be the leader of the home. That does not make him above, better, or superior to the wife. It just means there's structure and there's order. God is a God of order. And God the Father is the leader. And God the Son and God the Spirit are subservient and compliant to God the Father. Let me show you what I mean. Look at John chapter 5, verse 19. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of Himself but what He seeth the Father do. You know what that means? The Son lets the Father take the lead. The Son lets the Father take the lead. Turn over with me to John chapter 6 and look at verse number 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, look here, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. You know what Jesus said? It's not about my will. It's about your will. Hey, Lord, you tell me what you want me to do and I'm going to do it. Turn to John chapter 14 and verse number 31. John chapter 14 and verse 31. And remember, the idea here is that Jesus loved the Heavenly Father. We looked at the closeness He shared with the Father. Here we're looking at the compliance He shares to the Father. Look at verse 31. But what the, but that the world may know that I love the Father. How is the world going to be able to tell that I love the Father? Look here. And as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. The Father is giving commandments to the Son. And the Son says, the world will know that I love the Father because I am obedient to the Father's command. Turn over to John chapter 15 and verse number 9. And we see here the chain of obedience. We obey the Son and the Son obeys 
obeys the Father. Look here. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. Now watch. A teenage son or daughter can say all day that they love their parents. Oh, I love my parents! But if the teenage son or daughter is not willing to do what they're told, is there any evidence that that teenage child actually loves their parents? No. No. Now, maybe deep down they do, but there's no evidence of it. Teenagers, listen, children in the room, so living at home under their parents' authority, listen, don't you tell your parents you love them if you're not going to obey them. Your parents don't just want to hear I love you. They want to see I love you. How about, um, how about that employee who says, I sure do love my company I work for. But they don't do anything to advance the cause of the company. And then they are contrary, contrary to the boss. Week in and week out. Contrary. Can that employee really say that they love the company they work for? Nope. Nope. There are a lot of Christians who claim to love God, but live in direct contradiction to what the Bible says. I haven't lost you this morning, have I? You all okay? We come to church on Sunday and we say we love God. But we go home and we turn the TV on, and what we watch on TV says the exact opposite. I uh, did a lot of reading this week. I was away this week and uh, preparing for 2021. I read, read a, a book, listened to an audio book, read a lot of Bible, uh, did a lot of praying, did a lot of praying for you. And some of you have told me that you prayed for me while I was away, and I appreciate that. And everyone that attends our church loosely or is a member, I prayed for every single person this week. And I want you to know that I love you, I care for you. Uh, but I, uh, one of the things I read this week, I, I don't remember how eloquent or um, how well it was worded, but this is the idea, all right? It said, sinners lie while speaking, Christians lie while singing. We stand up in church, I surrender all. Do you? Bring them in, bring them in, bring them in from the fields of sin. When was the last time you brought someone to church? Right? Count your blessings, name them one by one. When was the last time you stopped to thank God for the mundane in your life? You see, Jesus didn't just give lip service to loving the Father. Watch this. He got up every single day and His mission was whatever the Father laid out for Him. You remember a few months back when I put the contracts on the screen? One that had it all filled out, expecting God's signature at the bottom, and the other one that had our signature on the bottom and was blank and said, Lord, you fill it out? Boy, Jesus woke up every morning and said, Okay, God, you tell me what to do. I'm going to do it. Take your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 26. Many people say... 
they say, Pastor, I'm going to get busy doing the will of God when God reveals to me what His will is for my life. As though they're waiting for some uh, mystical experience to happen, some uh, ground-shaking, riveting experience where the voice of God comes down and tells them, I want you to do this. I want you to go here. I want you to go there. I want you to marry this person. I want you to uh, pursue this education. They're waiting on God's voice to give them the will of God. And I want to say this. We don't need voices when we have verses. you got a book full of, of verses that tell you how to live. Quit looking for voices and start obeying the verses. And guess what? God will lead you in the unknown. Jesus was very compliant to whatever the Father wanted, even to His own hurt. Look at Matthew 26, verse 39. And He, Jesus, went a little further and fell on His face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father... If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as Thou wilt. Notice that the will of Jesus and the will of the Father were contrary. Jesus' flesh did not want to comply with what the Father wanted. Look at verse 40. And He cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into, enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away the second time and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. One way that you can tell that you love Jesus passionately is when your flesh wants to go one direction and the Lord tells you to go the other direction, that you deny the flesh and you do the will of the Father. Like I said at the very beginning of the sermon, the catalyst for loving God, there are many catalysts. There are many reasons why we should love God. Our flesh provides the competition. How can you tell if you love God? You follow the pattern of Jesus. He denied His flesh. And he obeyed the will of the Father. We see closeness. We see compliance. The third observation and final observation on our pattern for loving the Father is this communication. Communication. What is prayer? Prayer is communicating with God the Father. We go to the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. We are to pray in the name of Jesus. We are to uh, uh, pray by uh, uh, the mediator, Jesus. But ultimately, we should pray to the Father. In fact, when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, Jesus taught them to pray by saying, Our Father, which art in heaven. Our Father. Pray directly to the Father. Uh, Jesus proved His love to God by showing us how important it is to pray for everything all the time. For everything all the time. Watch this now. Jesus prayed for others. Matthew 19, 13, Jesus placed His hands on the head of children and He prayed for them. Jesus not only prayed for others, He prayed with others. In Luke 19, 28, Jesus took um, uh, Peter, James, and John up into a mountain to pray. Jesus 
not only prayed with others, Jesus prayed alone. Luke chapter 5, verse 16, the Bible says, And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. And, and Jesus not only prayed alone, but he would go out into nature and pray. Luke chapter 6, verse 12, the Bible says, And it came to pass in those days that he, Jesus, went out into a mountain to pray. Jesus uh, not only prayed in nature, but Jesus could pray as a sprinter, Short prayers, or he could pray as a marathon runner. Long, lengthy prayers. Luke 6, verse 12 again says, And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray. Look here, it says, And continued all night in prayer to God. Oh, wow. Could you imagine praying all night long? I'm not talking about a sweet hour of prayer. I'm talking about being awake all night long in prayer. i got to tell you, I'd have a hard time with that. I'd fall asleep about 2, 3 in the morning. Jesus was awake all night praying. You say, oh, He was God. He had a flesh to battle as well. Amen? But Jesus also could pray short prayers. Look at the model prayer we find in Scripture. Short but packed with wisdom in that prayer. You know what prayer is? Prayer is communicating with the Father. It's communicating with the Father. Can I ask you a question this morning? How much do you pray? Five minutes, ten minutes a day, twenty minutes a day. Some of you, outside of praying for your food, you haven't prayed in a long, long time. How can God expect to believe that you love Him if you won't ever even talk to Him? If I were to cut off communication with you as your pastor and never even say hello to you, you would question whether or not I love you. And you should. Well, if I'm willing to be friendly to everybody but you, and I see you and I give you my back, you'd think, I don't think that guy likes me very much. You wouldn't leave here going, oh boy, the pastor sure loves me. He gave me his back today. All right, fired up. I find out that you're in the hospital or going through a hardship in your life, and as your pastor, I don't even reach out or have someone from the church reach out. By the way, I can't reach out to everybody all the time. Sometimes I have various people in the church do the reaching out for me. But there's no structure for reaching out. You think, I'm not very well loved at White Oak Baptist Church, how do you think God feels when you never reach out to Him? You see, our default when we go through problems is to go to each other, right? Turn to our own resources. When you're going through a hardship, you ought to turn to the God of gods and say to Him, Lord, this isn't the first time I'm coming to You today. In fact, I've come to You many times before today. Lord, I love You. And while I'm having an emergency and I'm having a problem and I need You, Lord, I don't want You to think I just show up and treat You like a fire department. I only call You when the house is on fire. No, Lord, I talk to You all the time. And God looks down at You and says, I know You do, son. I know You do, daughter. I know You love me. You talk to me all the time. Hey, Christian, there ought to be uh, uh, times in our life where we go to the Lord in prayer and we don't ask God for anything. 
We go to the Lord and we just tell Him we love Him. We go to the Lord and we praise Him for who He is. We go to the Lord and thank Him for what He's given us. We go to the Lord and we confess our sin. We go to the Lord and spend time in the beauty of His holiness. We never ask Him for a thing. Because God knows that we want to communicate with Him because we love Him. Some of you that have teenagers at home, you know what it's like to have a teenage son or daughter come home and you ask them a question, they give you a one-word answer and they hang out in their room. Right? But the only time you can get more than a one-word answer out of them is when they need you to pull out your wallet and give them money. And all of a sudden, they're ready to talk. Don't do that to God. Well, you talk to Him beyond just needing something from Him. Jesus regularly, regularly communicated with the Father. He had a prayer life that was intense. I finished the sermon with this illustration and then a couple of closing thoughts. In the 1880s, a young man who was an earnest Christian found employment in a pawn shop. Although he disliked his work, he did it faithfully as unto the Lord until a more desirable work opportunity opened for him. Now listen to this. To prepare himself for a life of Christian service, he wrote on a scrap of paper the following resolutions. He wrote this down, sitting in the pawn shop, took out a piece of paper and he wrote this down. He said, I do promise God that I will rise early every morning to have a few minutes, not less than five, in private prayer. I will endeavor to conduct myself as a humble, meek, and zealous follower of Jesus. And by serious witness and warning, I will try to lead others to think of the needs of their immortal souls. I hereby vow to read no less than four chapters in God's Word every day. He wrote this down as his resolution, I will cultivate a spirit of self-denial and will yield myself a prisoner of love to the Redeemer of the world. That young man's name was William Booth, who would later lead thousands of people to trust Christ and would be the founder of the Salvation Army. Just a simple man working at a pawn shop who made a commitment to communicate with God. You are most likely under the sound of my voice this morning because you want to love God more. For all of us here, our flesh is the competitor that keeps us from loving God. We are called to love Him the way that Jesus loved Him. Closeness, compliance, communication. Closeness, how close are you this morning to God? Compliance, how obedient are you to the Lord? Communication, how regularly do you talk to the Lord? Is it obvious to your Heavenly Father that you love Him? Let's have our heads bowed nice clothes this morning. Is it obvious... To your Heavenly Father that you love Him. Are you close with God? Is He the first person you turn to when things get tough? Is He the first person you turn to to rejoice when things are going well? How obedient are you to the commands of Scripture? Boy, we didn't get into it this morning, but David said, Oh, how I love thy laws. They're sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. They're more valuable to me than gold. Well, he had the right spirit toward the rules of the Bible. How about you this morning? Are you compliant? How's your prayer life, Christian? Do you communicate?
boy, we look at that pattern that Jesus laid out for us, and I think we all have some growing to do. How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, I have been able to identify something from the sermon this morning that I can do better, I can start or stop or tweak. Pastor, there's something that I can change that will help me to love my Father a little bit more. Pastor, pray for me that I'll do that today. If that's you, would you slip up your hand? There's something in my life, something uh, material I can change to help me love God more. Many, many, many hands. How many say, Pastor Lejeune, I didn't raise my hand the first time, but I probably should have. I want to love God more. If that's you, would you hold up your hand? Many hands, many hands. I see those hands. Boy, let's do a better job of loving God together as a church family. We get this first one figured out. All the rest of it flows naturally. Lord, help us today to commit to a life of loving you. To commit to a life of reciprocating the love that you so freely pour upon us every day. Help us to deny the flesh and be fulfilled in your love and to love you back. In Jesus' name.